If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn them, turn in them to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This morning's message is entitled Easter Decision Time. And I don't know about you, but growing up, uh, I had to make a lot of decisions around Easter, whether it was uh, to eat the whole chocolate bunny right off the bat and get in trouble, or to uh, not, to harass my sister and mess up her Easter dress and maybe pull her pigtails or not and get in trouble. Well, it, it never really gets easier as you grow older. One of the first jobs I had out of college was working for this supply company. And these guys weren't exactly white collar guys. They were a little rough around the neck. Uh, kind of blue collar, uh, somewhat rednecks. Uh, let's just be honest, they were. Uh, I grew up. Uh, I grew up in a family of rednecks, and we were a little different. And uh, one day, the guy that I was working with, he was an older gentleman. He had lots and lots of grandkids, and it was right after Easter. And he came in, and I noticed that he was eating hard-boiled eggs for lunch, and they were colored. They're like stripes and polka dots and all sorts of stuff on there. And I thought he was just goofing with me. And I go, hey, hey, Bob, what are you eating there? And he goes, Easter eggs. I'm like, no, seriously, what are you eating? He goes, no, Easter eggs. I'm like, the same eggs that you like boiled last week and laid all over the yard and all your grandkids ran around and threw them who knows where and just like did whatever to them. You're eating those Easter eggs? He goes, oh, yeah, do it every year. I'm like, seriously? No, really? He goes, yeah, eat them every year. I'm like, wow. Now, maybe I'm just odd, but I don't do that. Do you? Some of you are like shaking your heads. Well, later in the afternoon, Bob, he literally starts to turn green. I have never seen a man turn green. You hear that sort of like when you get sick, like, you know, he looks kind of yellow or he looks kind of green. Bob started turning green. Like, what happened, Bob? He didn't say anything for a while and finally goes, got a bad one. Headed home. We didn't see him for a day or two. <laughs> I don't know exactly what happened to Bob at home. I don't want to know. He never said. But I think that was the last time he was eating Easter eggs that his kids had messed around with all weekend long. Decision times. So you can make some really good decisions over Easter or some bad decisions. And about 2,000 years ago, the disciples of Jesus had to make some decisions. They had been following this guy named Jesus for several years, and he, he had this amazing claim that no one else had ever claimed and done what he had done, and his claim was this, that he was God. Now, thinking of Jesus as God today is actually fairly easy because we don't see Jesus we think of him uh, in heaven or, or however some way, but we don't see him in the flesh. And the thing was, Jesus was crucified for claiming to be God. Everyone understood that he was a man. They knew where he'd come from. They knew his parents, but they saw him as a man. And he, yet he was claiming to be God. And he did these miracles after miracle after miracle. And finally... The Pharisees and Sadducees had had enough, and according to God's will, they crucified him on the cross. Huge decisions the, the disciples had to make. Was this guy lying? Did we have, place our faith in someone that wasn't truly God? I mean, they believed in him. They saw the miracles, but he died. Was he just a man? But then three days later, he's resurrected. 
Now, it's one thing to claim your God and to heal others, but to defeat death? Wow. And so he appears to them a couple times. And they rejoice, they're afraid, they doubt, they do all these natural things. But then he tells them to go wait in Galilee. If you're not familiar with Israel, Israel is kind of north and south, and where they were at was kind of generally towards the middle south, and Galilee is towards the north, and it's a couple days' walk away. It's no easy place to get to, over hills. And and so eventually, some of the disciples show up in Galilee, and they're waiting on Jesus, this person they had placed their faith in. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read the Bible sometimes, it's a little hard to relate to these disciples because it seems like their entire life was either faith or not. And as a believer, about just like you for many years, my life wasn't just faith, it was family, it was work, it was school, it was all this other stuff. So I had a hard time really figuring out what this faith in Jesus looked like in real life. Because I couldn't just give up my job and go wandering around Israel, as cool as that sounded, or give up school. My parents would have just died of a heart attack on the spot if I told them I was going to do that. And of course, no one really does that. We have life today. So how is it that this faith in a resurrected Savior affects our life? I mean, at first, we trust in Jesus just like the disciples did, and we're excited, and we're we're making these bold claims like, Jesus, you're all my life. I love you. Uh, I'm all in. And then as time goes by, Monday morning hits, and you go to work, or you go to school, and maybe you get married, or maybe you don't, or maybe you have a career or ministry, and over time, this, this excitement and this passion that you had in Jesus has seemed to fade just a little bit, if you ever had it in the first place. Well, we're going to read a text in Scripture the third time that the resurrected Jesus appears to the disciples. It's there in Galilee, and they'd had enough time that some of the excitement had worn off. So let's begin in verse 1, and we're just going to read through the story, and there's a lot of text to cover, but I want you to see it as a real story in a real place. The slide above me is the Sea of Tiberias of the location. This is a picture that I took of one of the boats out on the sea there. It's actually more like a lake. It's there, the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, the same name. Beginning in John chapter 21, it says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. So as you can see, there's the lake, and here is a a picture of the shoreline, uh, a place where you could stay and literally put your feet in the Sea of Galilee today, and you see the boats coming and going. It's not very much of a sea, it's more of a lake, about two or three times the size of Phillips Lake, if you're familiar with that, and you notice it's kind of hazy. That's often the case here at the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, it'll play a part in, in the story that you're about to hear. And in the mornings, there's a mist that comes off the lake. Also, as you notice, this is daytime. The boat that you see is a tourist boat. Um, the fishing occurs at night. Some 2,000 years later, the fishing still occurs at night. It does not occur during the day or early morning and evening uh, like you would fish maybe around here. It's at night. 2,000 years later, the same thing. Well, 
He revealed himself in this way. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. I don't know if you got a good education. I didn't really get a good education growing up. Uh, Elementary school was pretty pathetic where I lived, but they did teach me to count to 12, and I only count seven here. We have no idea where the other disciples were at. Maybe they had walked away. But you'll notice here, after the resurrection, the 12 disciples that had walked with Jesus had split up. They're not hanging out together. Perhaps you can relate to that. Maybe it's been a long time since you've been in church, a long time since you've been a a part of the body of Christ, and and you feel kind of disconnected. And and today's the first time in a while you've been back. I'm glad you're back, but you have to know that your feeling and your experience, it's not the first time. Right off the bat, only seven of his disciples were there faithfully doing what Jesus had commanded to go and wait in Galilee. The others were not sure. Maybe they were more faithful because you're about to see Simon Peter. Oh my goodness, what does he do? Verse 3, Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got in a boat, and that night they caught nothing. Simon Peter, if you know, at the end of the Gospels, he, he goes to Jesus and Jesus tells him he's going to deny him three times. And, and Peter, being the dramatic Peter that he was, oh no, Jesus, I'm never going to deny you. Three times that night he denies them. And so everyone, every church that I've been in always has a Peter, the drama queen. He's the guy that gets saved and he's sharing his testimony going door to door and he's on fire for Jesus. The next week, he's down at the bar getting drunk, so to speak. The next week, he's back in church asking for repentance. Uh, He's rededicating his life for the 12th time. And then the next week, he's nowhere to be found. And the next week, he's heading up a new ministry. And, And that's kind of Peter. Peter is just this emotional roller coaster. Everyone's a little different. And Simon Peter, right off the bat, he says, I'm going fishing. He'd had enough of this waiting. And we're not talking bass fishing, sturgeon fishing, halibut fishing. We're not talking recreational fishing here. Fishing was their employment. When he says fishing, he's going back to work. I don't know about you, but when I first got saved, it was awesome. But then I was younger and I went back to school on Monday. And it seemed like a whole world away from church and youth camp over the summer. And there were some serious decisions I had to make. Was I really going to live out my faith at school? Well, Peter here decides he's going back to work and he brings the rest of them with him. And they go out at night by boats. Well, what kind of fish are they fishing for? These are the fish. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but they're about the equivalent of maybe a crappie. Uh, About a pound, pound and a half. The fish... Uh, the biologists say have been there forever. They don't know the time they weren't. It's possible we're talking about different fish, but the fish seem to be fairly stable in the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, these are the tourist boats that uh, you'll actually see if you go there. Uh, I call them fake Jesus boats. They don't like that. Uh, but you go out on the tour and, and you ride the boat. It's kind of fun. Um, but here's an actual boat from first century A.D. that, that uh, would be typical of a fishing boat. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, It's surprising that it's actually survived, but here's the side. It's about eight feet across or so and pretty deep hold. 
The wood that you can see there is, is still solid after 2,000 years. They uncovered this uh, a couple years back. It's there in a museum. But this would be typical of the fishing boat, first century AD, that they went out in. And those little fish are the ones that they were after, and they would cast huge nets. The challenge was this. Uh, it didn't always go so well. As a matter of fact, when I was there, I asked, hey, can I go fishing? And they said, go ahead, but it's pointless. You can, you gotta be here at night. And even then, it's, it's pretty tough. But as you do so, uh, you can just imagine the setting. Here's the front of that boat. Being out on the sea, it's quiet, calm. It can be vicious at times, but it's a beautiful setting on a good day. And it's difficult to imagine what they were going through. They had been out all night, going back to their profession, and it was fruitless. It was pointless. They'd been out and caught nothing. Verse 4, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood there on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. A little later in the story, you find out they're about 100 yards out. It would be difficult to tell of anyone from 100 yards out exactly who they were, but you could still hear the the sound carries across this lake. As you'll notice in the photo, it's surrounded by low hills, and it's amazing the echoes on that particular lake. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. He finally appears in verse 5. Jesus says to them, Children, do you have any fish? That's not a question you want to hear if you've been out all night and caught nothing. You don't want to hear some guy standing on the shore asking you how it's going. And their answer is short and terse. They say, no, we haven't caught any fish. And notice here, the children in the Greek, that is the word that you use to describe a baby. It's little, little tykes. Here this guy is standing on the shore calling them little kids. It's almost as if he's making fun of them. Like, don't you know what you're doing is fruitless and pointless? Out there on your own, doing something that I've not called you to do. You just kind of set aside your faith and you're going back to work and you've caught nothing. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So I guess maybe out of frustration or just out of pure hope, it says, so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Wow. That disciple whom Jesus loved, most likely we believe referring to the Apostle John, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Now, remember, this is Peter, the guy that led him out there to go fishing in the first place. They finally catch fish what he was trying to lead them to do, and he jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to shore. Have you ever met, have you ever had a friend like that that is constantly leading you places? You finally go there and they leave you behind and they throw you to, to the, the lion, so to speak. So he just jumps out and starts swimming. Oh, Peter, the drama queen. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat. And you don't know whether or not, who is doing the right thing here? Jesus realized it's, it's the risen Lord, so he finally makes maybe the right decision and gives it up and just throws it all away and goes back to Jesus, the, the roller coaster Simon. But they, they're not giving up. He says, the other disciples came in the boat dragging in the full net of fish. That's worth some money. <laughs> they're like, yeah, there's Jesus, 
but I'm going to bring along the work as well. It's all about the money. And their, their loyalty seems to be kind of divided here. They're like, yeah, I love Jesus, but we're also about the fish. For they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid down on it and bread. Common meal. We saw it throughout the Gospels. Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish. Extraordinarily common. Just a regular old campfire food, so to speak, in first century A.D. Galilee. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. Once again, our drama queen here. So Simon Peter went on board and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Jesus said, just bring some of them. He gets the whole net by himself. 153 fish, even if that's half a pound a piece, that's a lot of weight with a heavy net, a wet net, and he's dragged in by himself. He's all or nothing. And so Peter's going to do what Peter does. And maybe that's you, or maybe that's a friend of yours that always seems to be all about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus at work or at school or with their kids. And it almost seems kind of fake. Like they're trying to well up and create a language of religious verbiage that makes them spiritual. But you're kind of wondering if it really is what's going on in their heart, so to speak. But you, on the other hand, you're just kind of steady. You want to follow God, but you don't have those highs and lows and you're just trying to do what God desires of you and to love Him and worship Him. There's both people in this world. But each person has to make a decision. Do they respond to Jesus? Maybe emotionally right away or slowly over time. But Peter at least here is finally obeying. And John tells the story. You can tell a fisherman is telling the story. He doesn't say it was a bunch of fish. He's interested. There were 153 fish there. Can you imagine? I don't know how much time went by after this story occurred and when it was written down. But he remembered the exact number. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of stuff in this world that I would like to know from God. I would like answers to. The number of fish that they caught that day in the net isn't one of them, right? But it made it into Scripture. Apparently, he was so proud, and God was like, all right, 153 fish. If you want to know what I did for you, okay. And right, so 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net wasn't torn. He was still impressed with that little tidbit. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to him, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So Jesus calls out Simon in front of the other disciples that are sitting there around the fire. He doesn't take them aside. Simon had led the the disciples maybe to do perhaps not the best thing. If If you're familiar with Luke, Luke had 
written uh, in his account of the Gospels about Jesus' command on what should really be our purpose. In Luke 12, 29, verse 31, he says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And so you have to know that, that the disciples were a little concerned. They had to have a little angst as they're sitting around the campfire, knowing that perhaps they hadn't been obeying exactly what Jesus had called them to. And the very first person that, that Jesus calls out is Peter. I don't know where you're at in your life today. Maybe you love God, but He's just kind of part of your life. Maybe on Easter, maybe on Sunday mornings. And, and you would really like Him to be all of your life. And, and you're struggling as to how that unfolds. What that looks like. Well, Jesus asked Simon what the heart of this issue, I believe, really is. He says, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus' reply, he said, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Ten, my sheep. Third time, verse 17, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. But Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see, Peter had led the other disciples to feed people. He was out fishing. He was all about the food. He was all about the work. Jesus was wanting Peter to feed his sheep in a different way. Earlier in John, the Gospel records this. Jesus speaking, he says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. It's a decision. You can spend all of your life Pursuing education, pursuing work. If you have kids, pursuing education for them and helping them to work. But at the end of the day, what have you achieved? Food for this life or eternal life? You definitely need food and, and God promises to give you and provide for you food and clothing. It's just don't chase after that stuff. I'll take care of it. And work is good. The Bible says if a man will not work, he shall not eat. But deep down, you know the place in your heart that work or hobbies or entertainment or relationships or even ministry occupies 
What's your first and deepest love? I've discovered here in the North, Northwest, people aren't afraid to tell you about what they love. If it's hunting, they will talk hunting all day long. If it's golf, they'll talk golf all day long. If it's kids, they'll talk kids. If it's ministry, they'll talk ministry all day long. But if you listen closely, Jesus isn't a part of those conversations or activities. He's just something they, they, they do maybe in the morning for a few minutes and they go on about their day. Jesus talks to Peter and he says, feed my sheep. You see, the disciples were called to a specific purpose. They were to expand and build the church. They were to, to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And he closes with this. Verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The disciples and the apostles would give their life for Jesus. To our knowledge, John was the only one that lived to a very old age. The others, according to church tradition, were either crucified or killed or thrown to the lions, stoned to death. They died a violent death. The decision had to be made. Were they going to truly follow Him and go all in or not? It's not like you and I where we really don't face any persecution. As they were looking at this Jesus, who they knew to be a man, and his resurrected figure standing before him, they had to decide, was this true? Was Jesus really the Son of God? Could he forgive sins? Could he give eternal life through faith in him? It wasn't simply, oh, should I believe or I shouldn't believe? Their life was dependent upon it. If they choose to believe, they die. If they don't, well, they die anyway. But it won't be in such a way that they would die if they followed Jesus. Torture, crucifixion. This Jesus, according to all historical accounts, was a real person, real time. The eyewitness accounts of his resurrection are undisputed. And the testimony of the apostles is that they died for a faith that they believed in. No one dies for a lie that they know to be a lie. What do you believe? When Jesus says, follow me, are you all in? No matter what that looks like, no matter how difficult it may be, are you all in? Maybe you've made a decision in the past and you were all in at one point and life kind of got you down and you messed up and you're back here. Are, are you ready to get back after it? Are you like Peter maybe? We've kind of thrown Peter under the bus, but truthfully, Peter always came back. He would fall away a little bit again in the book of Acts. He would get caught up in legalism 
get called on the carpet, you know what? He was back after it again. It's never too late with God. Decision time. If you're sitting on this boat looking at the shore and you see Jesus and He says, follow me, do you follow Him? That's the question. Time to decide. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, it's really easy to get caught up in the things of this world. There have been times in my life where I've followed you and there have been times where I haven't. There have been times as a pastor where I get caught up in ministry rather than you. Lord, I have no idea what's going on in the hearts and minds of the people here on this Easter. Maybe they're thinking about ham and turkey and Easter eggs and bunnies, and that's great. Family here is so wonderful and such a blessing. But I pray they'll think deeply today as well about the end of life. That old question, if they died today, do they know beyond a shadow of a doubt where they would spend eternity? If they don't, I just pray that they will turn to you right now. Confess their sins before you silently, quietly, right where they're seated. And lift up their voice to you and confess you as Lord and Savior and ask you to forgive them of their sins and save them. You promise they'll do it, that you'll do it this very moment, here and now. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen.